Yeah. That's so nice of you, Stan. I feel so affirmed. Because <laughs> we all know I love compliments. They really make my day. So, here's the thing. You don't really know me. Like he says, those who know me, know me. You know, I'm actually from, not just church, but I'm from here. I uh, was born in Port Chepston. Spent the first five years of my life in Port Chepston. Then my folks moved to Kimberley. Then from Kimberley to Joburg. Joburg to Durban. I went to the best school in Natal called Beechwood Boys. And uh, I was there, standard seven, eight, nine, left for Joburg. Uh, they then made Beechwood Northwood, I believe. And uh, I've been in Joburg ever since, and it's been such a joy. I love the big city. I love the big smoke. I love, the, I love everything about Joburg. But I tell you, it is so lacquer to come back here. I... Uh, do you know, I've never, ever been invited into this forum before. Yeah. In a KwaZulu-Natal thing, I've never been invited. These oaks, they keep me in my cage up in Joburg. And out of pure desperation, they said, okay, you can come today. So I want to start off by saying I make absolutely no apologies for anything I'm about to say, and at the same time, I apologize for everything, okay? So if you have an issue afterwards, please take it to Jesus, because He cares. All right. Hi, Stan. What did you go do? So, so, um, <clears throat> You know, preaching is going to be interesting because everything I'm going to tell you, God's done over two days. So all I'm really going to do is retell what he's already done. And my text, which I received weeks ago when I knew I was coming here, is one that was even brought by Mark last night. And it was this, John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Here's the key. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. We're going to look at that for a couple of minutes. Just before I do, Dusty, take a couple of photos of me with my shirt, bud, for that oak we were talking about earlier. It's between us. Weeks, weeks are important in John's account of Jesus' ministry. John chapter 1 and 2 presents the dramatic first week of Jesus' ministry. It begins with John the Baptist's testimony who says, Behold the Lamb of God. And that first week ends with a phenomenal miracle at the wedding of Cana where a party is going south. And so Jesus takes water and creates a whole lot of booze, a whole lot of alcohol for the party. And the Bible then says that by this he revealed his glory by making alcohol. Now obviously all the conservatives among you are immediately saying, no, it was grape juice, rubbish. No one on this planet is going to celebrate when you turn water into grape juice. And you don't save the best to last. Wow, the liquid fruits here. It was... And, and now listen, the imagery is that when Jesus turns water into wine, I don't know, I've only read about it. What happens when you drink a whole lot? 
I read once that if you take two plastic little glasses like cups like this, 200 mils, and you fill them both with tequila, and you hold your nose and you down them both. I've only heard about this. Life carries on for 15 minutes and then you wake up the next day and a whole lot of photographic evidence is around of stuff you were doing. But you know what the most amazing thing is? When you take it, your behavior changes. You become what you weren't. You can do what you couldn't. You're more courageous. You're more all this and that. The first miracle in the first week of Jesus revelation of who he is was to tell you that when you come near me and you consume what I have your behavior is going to change something okay now listen clap quietly please we don't have time for this just just when I was at university in uh, Afrikaans University which means give him a hand all you did was this all right, because I went to UJ, which was then Rand Afrikaans University to study law. You just do this. All right, so I don't, I don't want to hear you. Just do this. So that's the first week of Jesus' ministry. The last week of, of, of uh, Jesus' ministry was the week of his passion, which culminates in the cross. It culminates in his crucifixion. Another week that was very important to John was this week in chapter 7, which is the final celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. It, gets, it carries a lot of weight here in chapter 7, and we're going to look at six things in 20 minutes, and we're done. Number one, we've got to catch the symbolism, the coming of the Holy Spirit. This feast marked the end of the harvest season. Sorry, I'm shouting because I was singing. Who led the worship? He was really, really good. <clears throat> it doesn't help to make us sing again and again and again and again because we lose our voices, don't we? But Jesus was so worth it, eh? I just loved worship this morning. I don't know, who, I don't know what this guy's name is. Yeah, and when he just just strummed that thing, this strummed that guitar, and the presence of God was there today. Just loved it. It was you, but I want to honor you for a day. Joe, thanks for another voice. So this feast marked the end of harvest season, was regarded as the Jews' chief festival. During the desert wanderings, the Feast of Tabernacles portrayed when Moses struck a rock and water came out of it. It was a picture of Jesus, what the Bible refers to in chapter uh, 7, verse 39 and 40. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up till that time, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not been glorified. In the wilderness, and you need to catch this this morning. In the wilderness, do you remember, Israel was thirsty for water, and so God told Moses, go and strike the rock. He struck the rock and water came out. It was a picture, as we read in chapter 7, of a coming death and resurrection when the rock upon whom we stand is going to be struck and through his shed blood, his broken body, blood and water pouring from him, we will receive eternal life. And we will never ever need to thirst again. Then later on, another event happens where the Israelites are thirsty again. And this time, God says to Moses, I want you to speak to the rock. What happens? He's angry at the people. He's upset with leading a whole lot of stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. He's upset with them. And what does he do? He picks up his staff and he strikes the rock again. And God speaks to him and says, because, as we emphasized this morning, because you did not see or treat me as holy in front of the people, you lose your inheritance. You will not enter because the picture for us was this. The first time you ever come to Christ, you come to him who is crushed for your iniquity, 
You come to Him who is broken for you. But once you're saved, you only go there once. The next time you come to Him, you come to speak. You don't strike anymore. You come to speak. And He treated Him as unholy. You come to ask. You come to knock. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, the door will be opened to you. The pattern of your life becomes one of speaking to the rock that is higher than you, that he can pour fresh water into you, known as the gift, the infilling of the person of the Holy Spirit. It becomes the pattern of life for a believer. This event takes place, theologians argue, between seven and eight days. Most likely it was the eighth day of the feast, which means, I'm not going to talk about it now, but there was certain rituals that needed to happen around the Feast of Tabernacles that happened every single day. Processions to the Pool of Siloam, coming back, walking around the altar, declaring certain truths. It was a constant reminder to Israel that something had happened. It was a reminder. And there's a sequence that happens in the life of Jesus. On the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. On the eighth day of the Feast of Passover, His resurrection inaugurates the age of the Spirit. And on the eighth day of the Feast of Pentecost, Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit upon the church. And when Jesus stood up on that day and He said, Whoever is thirsty, come to Me and drink. He's reminding them that the Feast of Tabernacles was a reminder of three things that Israel was to remember. Number one, in the Exodus, God caused water to flow from a rock. Number two, it was a reminder to ask God for abundant rain for the next season. And number three, it was a reminder of the coming age of the Messiah because they would declare in that feast, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In other words, when the Holy Spirit is present in the life of a believer, a family, a church, a home group, where the life of the Spirit of God is present, there will always be three things. There will always be water, there will always be harvest, and there will always be joy. It is an evidence that God Himself is among us. And then Jesus stands up and says, whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. That's number one. Number two. Jesus has in the midst of this a conversation with his brothers where he's about to give them an example of what it looks like when the Holy Spirit leads you. Now remember, this Feast of Tabernacles is happening. While it's happening, I don't know, day one, day two, day three, I don't know. Jesus is in Galilee with his brothers and I pick up same chapter 7, verse 3. Jesus' brothers said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may see the miracles that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers didn't believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast because for me the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Jesus knows full and well that the Jews are out to kill him. His own brothers are saying, go there and look, just see what's going to happen. They don't believe in him. They, in a sense, want their brother to be exposed. And Jesus is teaching this. When he says, my time has not yet come, it is the Greek word kairos. In other words, you who don't live by the Spirit, any time is right for you. 
Go and make your own decisions. Go and do your dumb things. Go and do whatever you like because any time is right. You're like a wild beast. You're led by the lust of your flesh. Oh, I don't want this. I want that. But when the Spirit of God rests upon somebody, you wait for the kairos. You wait for your time. There are opportunities that God is going to release. God's going to give. There are opportunities in life and in ministry. Opportunities in business, at work, where you just walk in, listening, sensitive to, tucking into God, and He begins to minister, and He begins to speak. And He's trying to tell us that when the Spirit of God comes upon our lives, all of us, God will release kairos. He will release opportunities, moments where He comes in and can do what He wants to do. Are you still with me? Then he says this, so you, those, to those who are thirsty, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Talking about salvation. Come to me where you have a real eternal thirst for more. Come to me. What's going to happen? I'm going to satisfy that thirst. You will thirst later, but not the same way. Because what's going to happen is when you come to me and you are filled and I save you and I forgive you, the next thing that happens is whoever believes... That phrase, by the way, is used 41 times in this gospel. Whoever believes out of him, out of her, will begin to flow streams, rivers, torrents of living water. Out of you, out of anyone who believes. There's going to be a spontaneous overflowing, a sharing of life for those nearby. And the promise of God is this, whoever comes to Jesus and gets saved, whomever the Holy Spirit comes inside, from that day, streams of living water will flow from within you. Sometimes you might not even be aware of the effect you're having on someone else. Like Moses, remember, his face was uncovered. They're like, hey, the glory's there. You got to cover your face. Sometimes you're having an impact on people you don't even know you're having because Jesus is doing it through you and sometimes you're just unaware and that's okay. You don't have to be feeling, I'm shaking, now it's God. You don't have to feel that for God to be in the house. He can be doing what He is in people's lives with you completely unaware of it. But the one thing you will know is when you're drinking of Him, you're always satisfied. You're always satisfied. Are we still thirsty? Are we still thirsty for the things of God? I might not come to Him for salvation because I'm already saved. But am I thirsty for His Spirit to fill me so that I can begin to do the works that He wants me to do? Am I thirsty for His will in the same way that Jesus said, I have food to eat of that you know nothing about? Because my food is to do the will of Him who sent me. Jesus was filled with food from His Father. Are we so here's number three. How do we drink this water? The offer is free. Whoever is thirsty, come to me and drink. The offer is free, but it's not cheap. It's open to everyone, but there are terms to be met. Have any of you clever people ever read any of C.S. Lewis's very deep novels? The Silver Chair. And in the silver chair, C.S. Lewis writes this, Jill, seeing a lion, is scared out of her wits and runs into the forest. She runs so hard that she wears herself out and is just about to die of thirst, or so she thinks. 
When she hears the gurgling of a brook in the distance, she approaches it and is almost ready to go to the brook when on the grass before her is the same lion. Are you not thirsty? Said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away? While I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come? I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now without noticing it, she'd even stepped nearer. Do you eat girls? She said, I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting or as if it was sorry or as if it was angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream said the lion it never occurred to jill to disbelieve the lion no one who has seen his stern face could do that and her mind suddenly made itself up it was the worst thing she had ever had to do but she went forward to the stream she knelt down and began scooping up water in her hand it was the coldest most refreshing water she had ever tasted what is c.s lewis trying to tell us about jesus who says all who are thirsty come to me and drink what is he trying to say number one When you come to the water, when you're invited by the lion of the tribe of Judah to come and drink, you always come on his terms, not on yours. Jesus does not promise not to do anything with your life when you surrender to him. He doesn't promise to leave you in the petty priorities of your life. He is safe but he's wild. And when he invites you into his space, he says, I do not promise to leave you in the same convenience you're in right now. Jesus intends to revolutionize your life with the priorities of his holy kingdom. He goes to a group of disciples and follow me and I'll, I'll look after you, I'll spoil you, I'll bless you. You're the head, not the tail. Whatever you want is yours. I'm going to turn you into the most self-satisfied, greedy little piggy that's ever lived. Just come and follow me. Oh, I'm going to bless you. I'll never call you to do anything. I'm such a good father. You're under such grace that you need to know. I'm never going to ask anything. Rubbish. He says, you come and follow me. I'm going to. I've got three boys aged 18, 16, and 12, totally allergic to tidying their rooms. I go into their room and you wade through stuff and I call them here. I said, boys, you got four minutes or I'm going to make you. Four minutes later, the room is clean. Now, obviously, it's all under the bed. I get it. But at least it looks neat. So when mom comes in, there isn't a crisis. Are you with me? Jesus says, if you follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. How are you along the process of streams of living water flowing out of you when statistics tell us that fewer than 10% of people will ever lead someone to Jesus? And he said to you that I will make you a fisher of men when you come to me. He's not safe. He's going to take your petty little priorities and mess them up. 
If you truly drink, he changes everything. Yeah, whatever. Number two, you have to yield yourself by faith to get into the water. You step out in faith. It's a walk of saying, Jesus, I trust you more than I trust me. I'm going to rely on you on this. I don't know what my future looks like when I give my life to Jesus, but I trust you. Number three, it means walking with him. Drinking daily from the well of salvation with great joy. It is the privilege before you're a, a leader or a husband or a father, whatever you are, before you're any of that, you are simply a child with a father who you love so much and you want to be in his presence and you want to drink from him every single day. And you learn to walk with him. Paul puts it like this, keep in step with the Spirit. Walk with him. Can I tell you, when you walk with him, the characteristics of a great drinker in the Spirit is power and overflowing joy. As I said to you, yeah, don't do it, but you're going to have two glasses of tequila. I promise you this. Not only will you shake and get a headache, but your behavior will definitely change. And God says to you, come to him and you drink of him. You change. You begin to bear different fruit. The life of God begins to flow in and through your life. Listen now, you can't, there's none in this church. I've looked, you're beautiful. But in some churches, there are some real wusses who go to church. They sit under the same word, have the same Holy Spirit, serve the same God as you, but they're these defeated little idiots. They just live their lives. You never ask them how they are. You don't have time for their four hours of complaints before the meeting starts. They live on grumble copy, not praise mountain, because they've decided, I'm just going to live in this place. You are not a great advert for the power of the living God to get in you and change you. Imagine this. You're a sour old, no, wait. Imagine this. You're a sour old lemon eater. Why don't you come to my church? You go to a happy person at a jaw or watching rugby. They're excited. They're loving, they're loving their lives. They're drinking. They've got their mates and you arrive. Come and be like me. No. I'm happier where I am. Yeah, whatever. So number four, let me say this. This great invitation to those who are thirsty. The invitation is to those who thirst. Thirst is the most powerful of all human sensations. Spurgeon wrote, thirst is the absence of the necessary. Thirst is a painful need, an emptiness. Thirst is conscious need, conscious to a painful degree. A warning, something very important is wanted. Jesus was speaking of the thirst of the soul. When you want more and more of him, he's saying to you, when you really begin to thirst, I don't want my life to be lived on the trajectory it's on right now. I have come to Jesus. I, I came to the rock that was struck for me. My sins are forgiven. My, the wrath of God is removed from me. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I, I live before my God. I know I'm going to heaven. Now I need to look at my life and say I am dissatisfied unless I go to the rock and I speak and I ask for streams of living water to begin to flow in me so that they can begin to flow through me. There needs to be a thirst for more. And God is telling us as a church, he wants a thirst for more in us. When I was in the army, we had this uh, fuss bait, which is a thing you do to get your rank, where they kind of sift people out. And uh, on one day, we had to do a whole lot, eight or 12, whatever it was, 2.4 kilometer runs. It was one of the things we had to do the one day. And I remember we got to about number five, uh, fifth or sixth, uh, 2.4 of the day. You got 12 minutes to do it in. You're in full battle kit. You're running around like a maniac. And we're standing all in a line. And they say, right, we stand and they bring this ice cold container this with uh, oros inside 
and we stand there in a line and he says, right, they, they, you take out your little steel cup and they pour this ice cold oros into every single one of them and you start salivating. And they say, right, here's what we're going to do. The moment I say, drink, you drink it all. If you don't drink it all, you get disqualified. You drink it all and as you've drunk it all, you start running because there's a train coming and the train reaches a certain place in a track in 12 minutes time. Everyone on this side disqualified everyone on that side it's over you have a series of these through the day they take a group of 40 50 80 100 people and only eight make it at the end and we're standing there and they put these cups there and he says drink and i remember that cold oros and i'm salivating i'm sweating and I, and as i drink it i realize they've laced it with salt and uh, immediately your whole mouth is like and you just and you have to drink it and then you run you run a 2.4 i promise you all you're thinking about is water all you're thinking about is drinking and to those who make it to the other side you stand to attention again it says now you can drink you get your two liter water bottle out and you smash it back and i want to give you that illustration to tell you there's nothing like drinking the fresh water that he offers you Nothing like the fresh water that he offers you. Jesus in John's gospel was big on water. Chapter 2, the water turns to wine. Chapter 3, the water of the new birth. Chapter 4, the living water. Chapter 5, cleansing water of Bethesda. Chapter 6, calming of the water. There's water everywhere. Ezekiel's vision is fulfilled in Jesus' offer. Revelation 22 verse 1. The river of the water of life is clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. Revelation 22 verse 17 ends the words of Jesus in John chapter 7. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I hope you're getting thirsty. I hope you're starting to say, Lord, there's got to be more for my life. And the invitation is to all who thirst. Number five, almost done. The Holy Spirit who sends us. Verse 39 is the key because it says, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were yet to receive, for as the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. When Jesus speaks of living water that's going to flow, he is describing somebody he has known intimately from eternity. He is describing the Holy Spirit, who he said, It's better for you that I go to heaven and I send him. I can be with you, he will be in you. And when he comes to live inside you, when he inhabits you, streams of water are going to flow from without you from within you the spirit of God cannot help but bring the life of God to you to the degree you choose to yield to him and age and experience is not the point if I had a lovely 24 degree swimming pool right here right now and you were hot it doesn't matter your age your experience or your gender you jump in you're getting wet the spirit promises himself to all who ask it's a reminder for us that the cross is not the end of Jesus' work. The forgiveness of our sin, our justification before God, is not the end of our salvation. There's a greater end. The great commission that's about to be given. And to be able to bring life and refreshing to a dry and a thirsty land, you need to be full of water yourself. The Holy Spirit is not a sip of water. You know that little sip you have and you can it out again. He's not a sip of water. He is a river of life. It is an abundance. Psalm 1 verse 3 says, He who drinks is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf doesn't wither. In all he does, he prospers. Why is the Spirit given? Point six, the great purpose. We become springs of life for the world. Can you imagine what would happen if people outside of this building had experienced what we experienced in worship this morning? 
The giving of ourselves to an unseen king who satisfies our every desire. There are people out there right now doing what they can with broken cisterns to try and fill themselves because they know there's more. And here we sit basking in the river of God, loving and being loved, celebrating it's not enough. We have to leave the doors of this building with a great sense of purpose in our lives. Are we thirsty to do his will? Isaiah 58 verse 11 says, You will be a watered garden, a spring of water whose waters do not fail. I love this. Zechariah 14 verse 8 says, On that day living water will flow out from Jerusalem. For those, I haven't been, but for those of you who have ever been to Jerusalem, there is no river in Jerusalem. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the new Jerusalem. He's talking about the church. He's talking about from you who fellowship with Jesus, streams of water will flow to you, flow through you. Dr. Barnhouse wrote this, when you are filled with God's spirit, people will instinctively come to you for help. In your school, your office, your hospital, you should so live Christ that others will approach you in their time of trouble so that you can flow Christ to them. Do you have influence where you are? Can people yet see that you're someone who's been drinking? Two great bodies of water in Israel, right? Sea of Galilee, Dead Sea. Jesus performed miracles around the Sea of Galilee. There's many references to Jesus in Galilee. There's not one biblical reference to Jesus ever going to the Dead Sea. If Jesus doesn't go where things are dead, why are you and I living there? The only big difference between Galilee and the Dead Sea is they both receive, only one gives. And Jesus said, when you come to me and, and uh, I satisfy your thirst, from that moment on, streams of living water will flow from within you. It's not enough to receive, you have to give. It's even more blessed to others that you give rather than receiving. Are you okay? Ezekiel 47 verse 8, he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the Arabah where it enters the sea. Capital S, it's the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be a large number of fish because this water flows there, makes the salt water fresh. This captivates my life. So where the river flows, everything will live. Where the river flows, everything will live. When you read John chapter 14, chapter 16, and Acts 1 verse 8, you discover the purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon you and I. It's to give us power to be witnesses for the gospel. It's to give us power to break into other regions with the gospel. It's to enabling the planting of churches in tough, barren, dry areas. It's the raising up of quality leaders who will love and serve and lead the church well. Purpose the Holy Spirit is given to help reveal God's will to us and to teach us, to guide us into all truth, to tell us what's to come, to unleash the power of the prophetic voice, to convict the world of their guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Can I tell you the church and the world is in need of heavy drinkers again. The church and the world is in need of heavy drinkers again. In Joburg, we call them doppers. I want to close with this. When the Holy Spirit increases in your life, 
You are changed from passivity to courage as a witness of the gospel. Something in you begins to stir up. And people you could never talk to before, you have a freedom to go and talk to them. A courage rises up in you where you begin to understand. Actually, the power of God does live in me. The Bible is true. Everything it says is true for me, not just for the super Christian. It's meant for everybody. I think the power of the gospel is shown in normal, humble guys and girls whose lives mess up. God begins to do something and your life becomes a living letter of the fact that the power of God is changing you. You don't have to apologize that you were a bit of an idiot and now you're not. And we all have our mistakes and we all blow it. Part of the greatness of our testimony is we're not perfect. He is. And He holds us and He works us through and He does things in our lives. And you become courageous simply to tell others what He's done for you. Because nobody can argue with your story. You change from passivity to courage. Next one, you start to understand God's heart and God's urgency for the world. When you spend time with Him, He reveals His stuff to you. He begins to speak to you. He begins to convict your heart for the sake of the world. I'm telling you, when you spend time with the Holy Spirit, what do you think He talks to you about? Your new car? Jesus said, when He, the Spirit comes, He will take from what is mine and He will make it known to you. Do you think in heaven they're really talking about the dog that barks next to you and your little prayer that your neighbor with his bad dog will move? Do you think the Son intercedes to the Father for you so that your boss becomes better and less satanic? Or do you think perhaps... When Jesus is interceding to the Father and they're hearing and they're giving the Spirit a word for you, you don't think it has something to do with the advancement of the kingdom of God. The only thing keeping Jesus in heaven right now is the unsaved people who are not yet there. So stop praying that Jesus comes back before your tax return is due. Think of others. Think of those who don't know Him, who've never met Him. The only thing holding him back is every day in our churches around the world, people are saying yes to Jesus. And everyone who comes in, we sang it the other night, hell has lost another one. You get out of your simple little petty priority lifestyle when the spirit gets into you. When he renews your mind, he renews your mind that you come into agreement with him, not you. You get over your petty little selfishness. I tell you, there's nothing worse than a selfish Christian. I might love them, but I don't like them. Flipping little dead sea creature. Flip and grow up. Get before God and let him shift you. I had someone come to me a while ago in church. He's miserable, flipping, moaning, walking past me. I said, hey, what's wrong? So I said, listen, but he's a leader in the church. I said, listen, why don't you put a smile on your face? I don't want to be fake. I want to be true to myself. I've got to be who I am. I said, listen, yeah, when you put a smile on your face, it's the only part of your anatomy in agreement with God. <laughs> Just checks me out. I said, yeah, put that on. You don't know. By the end of the meeting, you may even look like Jesus. <laughs> Number three, you yield much quicker to the leading of the Spirit. When the river begins to run. Listen, we had power here just now. I was, I was thinking this in the, in the word, because some of those words were quite profound. I didn't like them. I'm listening to those words thinking, oh Lord, 
Can you imagine Acts 13? You're Paul. You go into a prayer meeting. A prayer meeting. You've been fasting and you're going to, guys, let's have some worship. Who's got a guitar? You start worshiping. You go in as a teacher. You leave an apostle. It wasn't your plan. You went to pray. You go into a prayer meeting as a teacher. And then he has the best part. I doubt a voice said, thus saith the Lord. I think what happened is Paul's like this. And one of the oaks he probably doesn't like. One of the prophets is, hey, Paul, yeah? God says you must leave. Really? Yeah, he's making you an apostle now, which is sent. So go. Stop teaching. You don't know. I don't know what it would have been like. I wonder how many of our church meetings, our prayer meetings, our quiet times, are times where God just wants to get in there and cause you to yield to his spirit, where a life-changing moment shifts in you with a word from the spirit. I remember when I got saved, I didn't know. God said to me, uh, within days of being saved, you took me to Genesis 12. And I opened it up and he says, leave your family, your household, leave everything. I went to my family, I'm going to leave university. Why? I don't know. God said, I've, I've known him for four weeks. Maybe three weeks. Are you sure? Yeah. What are you going to do? I don't know. Because Genesis 12 says, that I'll go to a place I will still show you. God never gave me another directive word for five years. It's a long time. Do you have your life at a church? I go to the army, I work, I'm waiting on God. And one day, five years later, I'm sitting at the back of church and our pastor says, we're going to start churches that plant churches. In that moment, out of everyone in the room, I knew what I would do the rest of my life. If I'd missed church that morning, I wouldn't have got that word. But I was sitting there and something came alive in me. And guess what I've done for the last 28 years? Because the moment of a word. And lastly, you enlist yourself as an ambassador for the Lord. Lord, I choose with rivers of living water in me, I choose to represent you from today. In everything I do, I choose to represent you. And I'm going to trust that even if I don't have the shakes or the feels, when you tell me that I'm thirsty and I come to you and I speak respectfully to the rock, I trust that streams of living water are going to flow in me and they're going to flow through me. And truly, I will become a fragrance, an aroma, a living letter, an ambassador. My life will reflect the fact that Jesus Christ is in me by his spirit. Are you thirsty? Then drink from him who invites you. And have the courage that streams of living water flow from within you. God bless you.